This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 712, brought to you by Daybreak, the only podcast left. Whether you're a fan of the show Daybreak, or you love learning how to survive in a teen-filled post-apocalyptic world, you're going to need to subscribe to Netflix's first fictional podcast. And Harry's. For $5 off any Harry's shave set, visit harrys.com slash iFanboy. My fanboy listeners, just like you. Pretty queen of New York City When, when the band finished playing They held on for more Sinatra was swinging All the drunk play were singing We kissed on the corner Then danced through the night The boys of the envoy Pity choir were singing Go away play And the bells were ringing out For Christmas Hello! Welcome to Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode 712. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and sitting in for Josh Flanagan is former iFanboy columnist Jim Rachowski. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> no living person remembers that I worked on this site. This is our last regular show of the year, and Jim is returning to us after many years. Uh, he was yes. a, one of our featured columnists back when we did a daily website. Jim, yep. I think you were one of the most natural-born columnists I've ever met. You were terrific at your job. You and the four people who clicked on my articles seem to agree with you. You seem to agree with you. This is off to a great start. <laughs> so thanks for filling in at the last second as Josh. I'm happy to do it. He was trying to return from a work trip. Of course, we see that half the United States is under some sort of giant storm. And yes. he is, uh, he's in some sort of planes, trains, and automobile situation. I'm sorry to hear it. Thoughts and prayers. He didn't make it home. <laughs> Good Lord. So he was very sad to miss the final show of the year, but he will be back in January. <laughs> He'll be back next week with our all-media show, but he'll be back in January for the regular episode. It's a pleasure to be back, and uh, this is an interesting experiment for me. This was an irresistible opportunity because, as you alluded to earlier, we uh, ended doing columns uh, about six years ago. And about 5.9 years ago, I immediately walked over and subscribed to Marvel Unlimited, Mm -hmm. which means I've been six months behind at least on comic books for (laughs) six years now. Oops. And then you said – the Wednesday Warriors need you. So I've dipped my toe back in and I thought this is going to be an amazing experiment because I'm going to read whatever's out. I'm not. I'm going to pick up whatever issue is on the shelf oh, just like wow. I did when I was 11 years old. And we're going to see how this goes. Interesting. Okay. I learned a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> let's get to it. We are I fanboy. Every week we read a bunch of comics. One of us picks their favorite book. We call that the pick of the week. We'll talk about that book, other books from the week. We'll do the patron pick. We'll definitely do some listener mail. This show might go a little long. We want to make sure we get everything in before we're done for the year. Mostly, we're going to have a good time. You, me, Jim, everyone. It's a good time. <laughs> Spoiler warning, review show. There'll be spoilers. Use your head. And I had the final pick of 2019, and it was Superman Up in the Sky, number six. The other irony of Jim, of you being on the show, is you are a noted Superman hater. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought that up. So this is the final issue of Tom King and Andy Kubert's Superman miniseries that was originally found in Walmarts and then eventually made its way to comic stores. This book and the next book we're going to talk about were both Walmart books. It's interesting that I guess that because A, they're out of continuity and B, that they were originally in Walmart. I don't know that these books, I don't know how, I don't know how they're selling. I don't pay attention to that anymore. I don't know what the, the zeitgeist is for these books, but mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like they're being talked about all that much. To me, this is the best Superman book in a year of great Superman books that came out. And Batman Universe, which we'll talk about, is the best Batman book. Hopefully people are checking this miniseries out. This is the final issue, as I said. The story of this book has been a young girl was kidnapped by aliens. 
and Superman decided to go save her. He has been on an adventure in space, going th- through different alien planets, meeting different people with Darkseid and other aliens that are new, as he attempts to find this little girl. And what this miniseries has really been about is who is Superman and why is he important. And this issue is the final wrap-up in which Superman finally finds the little girl. The first half of the issue is him escaping the aliens that captured him in the last issue, while we we also see on Earth the aliens are invading and all the Justice League and everybody's fighting them off. And we have Superman's encounter with those aliens. And the second half, as he's free, is him finding the little girl, flying home to, through space, having little adventures with her. And as she, as anyone who's been around a toddler knows, peppers him with questions the entire time, <laughs> which is, I think, a terrific device for Superman to sort of give his philosophy on life and heroism and mm. and everything. And whether he uh, is propelled by something that shoots out of his butt. Right. So yeah. as a Superman fan and, and lover, this issue was very emotional. You know, people have been quoting it to us on social media, but the scene where he says, winning fights don't make me happy, was terrific. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there was one scene where uh, they had stopped to help an alien. And she's like, why did we stop? Because he needed help. And there's a whole exchange there. And that one got to me, especially in these, <laughs> in these day and ages. <laughs> Someone needs yeah. to help you help them is basically the, the the message here. And the page with Batman about why Batman would win in a fight because Batman needs it more than he does. <laughs> That's right. That was terrific. And he's Batman. Yeah. Everything about this really got me. It's really unfortunate that between this and Batman Universe that DC didn't get these collections out for the holidays because I, I can think of at least three people I would have bought both of these collections for. Yeah. Because they really do sum up the characters really well. The collections aren't coming out until I believe April or it could be March. And when those do come oh, out, that's too bad. I'll be buying them. This is a book you can hand someone and say, here's Superman. You know, a Variety article this week got a lot of play about how Warner Brothers doesn't know what the hell to do with Superman. Yeah. And they've this. already hired Tom King to write the New Gods movie. It just seems to me they could also slide him on over to Superman as well. Because yeah. this, this is Superman in the modern world. And it doesn't come off as hokey. It, it makes total sense. It's downright inspiring. To me, it's not that difficult to figure out why Superman's so great. And this issue really personifies it. Yes. And not only could you hand somebody this book and say, this is what Superman is. You could hand somebody, I speak from personal experience, this issue <laughs> and say to them, this is what Superman is. Because, you know, DC doesn't do the recap page and all that right. stuff. But I picked up the last issue of a series. Mm-hmm. And within two pages, I knew everything that was going on. I understood the stakes. I under like. It just perfectly the old Jim Shooter thing that every comic is somebody's first comic. Right. This would be a perfect example of that. And like you said, one of the many ways that I abused your website years ago <laughs> was uh, to write a column while you were sleeping and post it on the internet that said Sand I didn't. Uh, yeah, exactly. That said, you know, I I don't get Superman. I, he's one of my least favorite characters in fiction. Whatever people like about him has never clicked for me. But I read this, and I Tom King does what he does, and it all just kind of fell into place. If you have anything in your heart for the Chris Evans Captain America, yep. you get this. We've been saying for years that they hold the same place in their respective universes. They're both the emotional heart, Captain America and Superman. Yeah. And that's, that's what you get here. And, and this is the thesis statement issue. I mean, we've been dealing with mm-hmm. aspects of this throughout the miniseries, but this is the stamp through the conversation with the little girl about what Tom King sees Superman as being. And we'd be remiss without mentioning Andy Kubert, who is oh sure he's a very stylized artist i don't know why superman has these giant cuffs on his arms <laughs> he's from that old marvel school he's incredibly dynamic he's, he excels with these space creatures and with these alien worlds 
Uh, there's a part where they're eating. They stop for food at some alien, you know, truck stop diner, and this the food they're right. eating looks so disgusting, but in, in the best <laughs> possible way, and it just looks terrific. You know, this is a great looking book. Tom King has said he purchased all the pages from this from from Andy Kubert, so he so he would have them because he loved them so much. I can't blame him. Yeah, it's it's a good looking book. He's my favorite of the Kubert brothers. I like Adam as well, but Andy's yeah. my favorite. It's one of those tour de force comic books. You know, it feels like a comic mm-hmm. book. There's big aliens. There's crazy robots. There's small personal moments. It's terrific. Yeah. And one of the things that always hung me up about the boy in blue was that he was invulnerable and finding a way to, you know, hinder him or finding an obstacle for him to overcome seemed like a contrivance. But Mm -hmm. this really drove home, like, what's important about Superman is that he's not going to give up even if he's chained you know he can haul a star with these chains the strongest metal in the universe <laughs> that's right yeah but there's a little girl who needs him yeah. and so whatever he needs to do to overcome it he will do it to overcome it the little girl who needs him in his basically praying to him yeah to save her it, it got me this issue really got me i you know i didn't tom king's done a lot of batman writing so i didn't know what he, to make of the superman mm-hmm. when this was first announced and he he can clearly take that book as well although it's good he doesn't need to at the moment it's doing very well i noticed that batman never quit either well, he, he, he does quit, but he has different limitations. Let's talk about Batman. Batman Universe 6. This was the series that had three picks of the week. It had a fourth that was basically a coin flip that it lost. This was probably my favorite book of the year. And this is Brian Bendis and Nick Darrington doing much like Up in the Sky and, all, and Out of Continuity. What is Batman's story? A Batman thesis statement. And, and so the story of this has been Vandal Savage. And Batman locked in a race to acquire this mysterious item, which turned out to be, as revealed in the last issue, the original White Lantern ring. And Batman was zapped into it at the end la- of the last issue. This issue is Batman mm-hmm. inside of the White Lantern ring. And then eventually duking it out with Vandal Savage throughout DC Comics history and seeing an alternate version where he is not Batman. This is also the thesis statement at the end of this. Is, it ends very similarly on this, a very similar note mm-hmm. to uh, Superman up in the sky. This has been great to me. Nick Darrington has been the star of the book. This book is beautiful. Seeing him getting to draw basically the entire DC universe has been a treat. And Bendis yeah. is, again, we haven't talked about this also, in addition to your <laughs> hatred of Superman, on the other side of the coin was your absolute love of Bendis, who is now in charge of DC. <laughs> Can you imagine what it felt like that day? <laughs> I, I opened up my Twitter and it, Brian Bendis said, I'm abruptly leaving Jessica Jones to write Superman. Mm-hmm. There were black cloths hung over the mirrors in my house for I'm sure. six months. And I still have not indulged, although I've set them aside on a library queue and one day I'm going to get to them. But yeah, this was, was another one where I went in blind and I was right away, you know, <laughs> on page one, Batman kind of looks at the camera and goes, here's what I'm doing and here's what's happened. And here we, and like immediately I got it. And it was a nice, a satisfying chunk as Heidi McDonald used to say. And, uh, there was one time when I thought Vandal Savage doesn't talk like that. Right. But that's classic Bendis. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he did not, he didn't disappoint. Like Bendis is the reason I am your problem now. Right. I had been out of comics for 10 years when somebody told me about alias and the rest is history. So yeah, this was nice. It encouraged me to uh, go ahead and take a chance on, uh, 
the Superman book. Well, I think you should definitely do that, but I think you should definitely read this whole miniseries because this has been terrific. And of course, yeah. everyone assumed when Bendis was announced as moving to DC, he would be doing Batman. He went to Superman instead. It turns out to be a very natural fit. Of course, he also writes a really terrific Batman, but his Batman is a lot yeah. less grim and gritty, but never mm-hmm. out of character. This was an cr- incredibly fun read. It was basically a team-up book. Every issue was teaming up with a different hero. Yeah. And I love his team-ups with all the different characters. I love Vandal Savage ending up back in the Old West here, t- so closing the loop on the Jonah Hex part of the storyline because the, the original thing came from Jonah Hex. A terrific full-played shot from Nick Darrington of Batman and all his uh, villains and his t- and his friends that I'm, I've already saved to make my iPad <laughs> wallpaper after the holidays is over. This was just an incredible book. Incredibly fun romp. Again, if you at all were thinking about checking these books out or didn't do that because they were Walmart books or whatever, or not in continuity, these, these are terrific books that you can hand someone and say, this is Superman, this is Batman. And, and they were a lot of fun. Do people, I mean, I guess people really care about continuity a lot, but I find that I almost prefer them to be out of continuity, if that makes sense. If you look at the seminal stories throughout comics, the ones that, that stand the test of time that people refer to as classics, they're, they're often not. They are, sometimes mm-hmm. are, but they often not, because that means you don't have the restrictions and things like that. Yeah. So when you agreed to come on the show, I thought, oh, great, because I'll be able to talk X-Men <laughs> with do, Jim. And, do the Spider-Man and, yeah, and, Marvel, recruit the Marvel zombie. So you being behind haven't really been involved with the new X-Men relaunch led by Jonathan Hickman. I know nothing about this except for the fact that my uh, comic shop manager handed me a packet of seeds one day that said they were Krakoa seeds. And it was some kind of Weird. marketing ploy that is as inscrutable to me as many of the events contained in this volume. We had three issues this week. We had yeah. Marauders, the issue of Excalibur, and X-Men. I thought X-Men was the most fun. This is somehow still being drawn by Lee Neal Francis Yu. I thought we've got to be at the yeah. at the edge of that or getting there close so I'm curious what you thought of this issue, not having read any of the Hickman <laughs> sort of relaunch. Although there is, there is, I guess there isn't a recap. He doesn't. He just does like a very short. He thing. he kind of works in those little text yeah. design pages that right. he is so notorious for or famous for. This one, first of all, I enjoyed it. It was a good book. It was well written. He sometimes with Secret War and uh, Fantastic Four. No, not not Fantastic Four. More the Avengers left me in the dust a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was always kind of running behind those books trying to catch up, but there wasn't that much of that here. Everyone say like, this is what I mean about, I almost prefer they wouldn't stick to continuity so much because I've been reading all the X-Men books in my time, six months in the past, right. religiously. And everything I'm looking at is like, why, <laughs> why are we friends with the white queen? Where did Cyclops come from? What? Right. <laughs> You've missed a lot. You're like a Rip Van Winkle. Yeah. You woke up after a short short coma, and now you're reading comics again. Right. And, like, inevitably, like, the last one I read was issue number nine, and then I looked two weeks later, and they're on issue number three somehow. Like, <laughs> with all the renumbering, I never know what's going on. But, I mean, I loved the villains very they much. Were great. This story was about a bunch of older women. I don't want to say yes. elderly, although one of them is in their 80s. So a bunch of mm-hmm. 60s to 80-year-old women the horticulture, H-O-R-D-E, they're all like yeah. radical botanists and geneticists who managed to invade Krakoa to steal their special flowers and things. And there's a whole – they have a whole thing going on. But it was very funny to see the X-Men in this issue try to face off against a bunch of elderly women. And not do so hot. Yeah. Well, they're more capable than they appear, obviously. But mm-hmm. they were funny, I thought. They were funny calling White Queen a tart. <laughs> The shot of her mouth hanging open is delightful. Yeah. I thought this was really amusing and fun, and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that coasted along past things like Apocalypse sitting at the dinner table, and <laughs> I could have sworn Gateway was dead 20 years ago, and, you know, so. 
You've missed a lot. I can't even. If I if I was to explain <laughs> yeah. to you what is going on in the X Men now, we would that would be the, the end for the show. <laughs> this might be the the biggest leap you've made in, was to the X Men. Uh, oh yeah, confirmed. If you had read the other issues, you, your head might have exploded because that was really different <laughs> to what was going on. Yeah. So Doctor Doom number three, Josh, I've been really enjoying this miniseries. Christopher Cantwell, Salvador La Roca. Again, with continuity stuff, this didn't really match up with what's happening in other books like Spider-Man this week, but this is the story of Doom being framed for destroying a sustainable energy situation on the moon, and now he's on the run, he's got a hoodie on, and he's yeah, he's hipster Doom. and A lot of cotton. In this issue, he was sent to, well, he was sent to hell in the last issue, so this is him battling his yeah. way out of hell with uh, Mephisto. Yes, and a demon who may or may not have been his one true love. Right. Yeah. I I get kind of bored whenever they go to hell in any comic, comic book. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it probably has something to do with the fact that Mephisto is like the lord of the underworld and arguably one of the most powerful beings in the universe. And everybody we see fight him wins. Right. I think they might have kind of overplayed their hand with old Mephisto there. Death shows up. And so then death outranks Mephisto. I never really understand where, where Mephisto is on the ladder of satanic beings, but it doesn't really <laughs> yeah. matter. It doesn't really matter. I do enjoy that. So one of the running gags in this book has been that Kang keeps showing up for one page. Oh, he pops in and pops out for one page and it's been terrific here. He shows up at the very end. So it wasn't quite as fun because he didn't get to disappear yet, but it, it's yeah. just been this weird running gag where, Kang pops in. So you're saying gives him you're saying that leaves. Josh likes a book where Kang pops in? Yeah, oh yeah, he loves it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do as well. So it's it works out great. Yeah. I, just, I just like it was a very long fight with Mephisto in hell, and I just didn't. This is my least favorite issue, but I've been enjoying this miniseries. Yeah, well, this is both my most and least favorite issue. <laughs> Speaking of continuity cluster fumbles, I, I swear to God, I read these things like Marvel with their app gives me every book they put out, mm-hmm. and I make a good faith effort to plow through those bad boys and i would swear that one day brian bendis was writing dr doom as a changed man yep he was uh, and then the following man. afternoon he was eating babies and i didn't ever get connective yeah. tissue for how that happened there is, really isn't one there was sort of a reset in the character that also annoyed josh because he really loved that bendis book but doom yeah. always had to return to being doomed that was never gonna sure stick. and as much fun as that book was he's better as doom yeah. Oh, yeah. As Iron Man. I mean, people are chomping at the bit to get him in a movie now. He's because he's the like er guy. And in this book, I'm not sure what he's doing because depending on whether he's having one of his visions or whether he's punching the devil in the face, he's uh, either a savior of mankind or the bearer of the apocalypse. I mean, he was framed. Yeah. They were making something on the moon that was going to either recycle our bad carbon. It was something climate change related, and it got blown up. By missiles from Earth, and he was blamed for it, and now he's on the run because he was sanctioned, and because he, he's technically a world leader. And mm-hmm. So to stay off an invasion of his country, he basically abdicated the throne to this woman, Victorious? Victoria? Regent Victorious or something Victorious, like that. Victorious, yes. And so she's basically yeah. in charge of Latveria. He's on the run in Queens with his hoodie, eating burritos with Morgan Le Fay. <laughs> and Morgan Le Fay has an apartment for some... Hey, you never know. Speaking it's of good, somebody I lost track real of. Estate. Yeah. It's important yeah. to hold on to. And so he's on the run for a crime he didn't commit. He's like a one-man A-team. So he may have done ah. bad things in the past, but in this particular instance, he did not commit the crime, but no one else is believing him. Ah. So that's the, that's the thrust of this book. And it's been a lot of fun. Let's talk about New Year's Evil, technically number one, I guess, but for this year. This is right. the, the anthology DC put out to celebrate Christmas and New Year's through the, through the lens of villains because we don't have enough books starring villains. <laughs> right. This was a 80-plus page giant 
I was a little shocked. It wasn't the patron pick because the patrons love to drop 80 page giants on us at Thursday night before we record. <laughs> They're strategic picks, are they? But I was going to read this anyway. Their... Be- yeah, I was going to read this yeah. anyway because it kicks off with a Gabriel Harbin, Karina Betko Joker story. He, he doesn't draw a lot of these kind of books, so that was really exciting. There's also yeah. Kurt Busick, Dale Eaglesham, Prankster story. Those to me were the two highlights. So there was a couple other ones I enjoyed. As any anthology, some of these were good, some of them were bad, some of them were boring. Yeah. But I really enjoyed the amateur, which kicks off the Joker story, in which a a guy stages a fake Joker attack and takes credit for it, and the Joker finds out and gets real pissed that someone's basically stealing his act. It was a gorgeous looking little story i really enjoyed their dialogue i really enjoyed the resolution that steve was very easy for the joker to find <laughs> well you know it's a short story you gotta, <laughs> like, you gotta jump only over got something. five pages i guess yeah <laughs> yeah but uh, other than that yeah i agree i i can't remember the last time i saw gabriel hardman draw something that wasn't his right. creation you know so that was nice to see him visit the old neighborhood he is a film storyboard artist who's done all of the nolan mm-hmm. batman films so he has done Work we have not seen featuring Batman and Joker, so this is yeah. nice to see. You know, whenever anyone asks, who would you like to draw a Batman book? I always say Hardman, even though he would never do it because he only does his own work. Yeah. He draws a really great Batman. Yeah. It's a very classic Joker. Absolutely. Was there any contrast? Was there anyone you wish you had skipped? Well, I don't I don't want to jump them because I don't know some of these names. I don't know how uh, green yeah. they are. There's, there was a couple of stories that didn't have professional level art for sure. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the Toy Man story. The Raymond Villalobos art was very clearly Frank Quitely inspired. Yeah. I liked the story of basically Toy Man trying to get kids these days to play with toys instead of looking at their phones. And <laughs> right. I felt a little too uncomfortably close to Toy Man. This yeah, place. I'm but on the wrong side of this one. Yeah. His toys were all inspired by 90s DC. That was funny. So all oh, the, yeah. All the toys were from like... 1996 seven versions of these characters that was cool talking in extreme catchphrases and i liked the um sinestro one i thought the art was really good from sumet kumar i thought it was really strong oh yeah that was surprisingly really good i really like the story about that one yes yes you know i don't know i've never heard of philip kennedy johnson but it's a really strong short story about sinestro returning to one of his old planets that he used to oversee as a green lantern to find that they've worshipped him for all the wrong reasons that was a fun story poison ivy poison ivy disemboweled that guy Yes, she did. <laughs> that was fine. I, I didn't really. I, it was a fine. It was all right. Uh, I didn't like the yeah. Aries story. I sort of got bored of that and skipped. That seemed tailor made for people like me who mostly interact with Wonder Woman as a movie character. Right. Yeah. That's I cool. don't know how often Aries comes into play. Captain. Oh, Captain Black Adam. That's not his name. Black Adam. <laughs> I ended up sort of skimming. I was like, oh, I didn't really like this. I skimmed it. Then we had Calendar Man. Wasn't really a big fan of that one. Mm. It was nice to see Christos Gage again. Sure, but, he's uh, he's around. I just didn't really like that one. Chronos. Yeah. That was Chronos. I liked that one actually. That was a really dark one about Chronos trying to yeah. make his father to a better man in in the past, and that just not not working out. That was that was actually really good. Yeah, he was the one character featured who I had literally never heard of before, and I was emotionally invested right away. Yeah, it was really well written. Yeah, if I had a time machine, I would only do things like that. So I related to him very much. And then Prankster by Kurt Busiek and Dale Eaglesham was fun. With Pranksters, like the worst boss ever. <laughs> and then we had ended with a Harley Quinn story, which was all right. Harley Quinn attempts to make Renee Montoya's holiday a little brighter. I just don't like villains as buddies of the heroes for the most part. There's always a couple of exceptions, but like Harley Quinn becoming a hero character because she's really popular yeah. is like one of the worst things that has happened to comics for my opinion. Yeah. She was such a great villain character and people responded to her and it was like well people like her let's make her a hero it's like i don't that's bad 
I think Harley Quinn has replaced Deadpool as the character whose whole deal I simply do not get. <laughs> because, you know, she's a villain. She's a pinup. She's, you know, friends with, you know, I don't know. Well, let's take a quick break and talk about Daybreak, the only podcast left. Whether you're a fan of the show Daybreak or you just love learning how to survive in a teen-filled post-apocalyptic world, you're going to need to subscribe to this new Netflix podcast. It's called The Only Podcast Left, and it's Netflix's first fictional one. It's set in the world of Daybreak, written by showrunner Aaron Colit and starring Tessa Netting, Kyle Sherman, Kimia Bepornia, and Jared Goldstein. And meet your hosts. They're the AV Club. They're a group of kids who survived the apocalypse of using their skills to rig cameras and spy on warring tribes all over Glendale. Now they're making a show about it while juggling their own personal drama and trying to stay alive as mutant pugs, ghoulies in a mysterious new tribe, all try to kill their vibe. Meet members of the LARP Lords, the Donut Hoes, the Stem Punks, and more in their Tribe Spotlight segment. Jim, if you had to join one of these tribes, who would you join? Keeping in mind, I've already claimed the donut hose for myself. Oh, that's too bad. Um, you know, I'll be a LARP Lord. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I could see you in a LARP Lord outfit. I cast Magic Missile. There you go. No doubt about it. This podcast is full of spoilers, so make sure you watch the whole show on Netflix before pressing play on the podcast. You might just find out what happens after the end of Daybreak Season 1. So it's like Season 1.5. Featuring Daybreak cast member Austin Crute in a special guest appearance as Wesley Fists of Fury. The only podcast left is available now on Spotify. I can see you in like a hood, a robe. Yeah, I would want to do the pointy hat with stars on it. Oh, okay. Sorcerer's Apprentice kind of thing. Only if I could grow out my beard. I'm with the donut host purely for the food. Well, sure. Yeah. If you hadn't claimed it first, let's not kid ourselves. I've already mapped out our yearly donut. Like, we're good. We're in apple cider donut time now. I appreciate your diligence in this. So check out the only podcast left now on Spotify. Let's talk about the Green Lantern Black Stars book real quickly. This is issue two of three of this miniseries. Josh and I both didn't like the first issue. It was a little obtuse. Mm -hmm. I wanted to mention this solely because if you wanted to know what Grant Morrison thinks about what's going on currently in DC Comics, you should read this (laughs) issue because it is one long, not-so-veiled commentary on DC at the moment. And I was pretty shocked. This issue, the Black Stars are thinking about going to Earth and destroying it, and Hal, even though he's undercover with the Black Stars, ostensibly a bad guy here, is trying to tell them all the things about Earth and why it shouldn't be destroyed, and why the heroes shouldn't be messed with, and it's just, (laughs) we get yet another attempt to break Batman, the the, the (laughs) bat signal broken, and Batman going, not again. (laughs) This is almost like a Mad Magazine article. I was going to say, it's nice to know that They'll either poke fun at themselves or not pay very close attention to what Grant Morrison is doing. Right. One or the other. And they're all too afraid of him to say anything. Right. He might cast a spell on them. But there's a whole thing about <laughs> never-ending crises and people protesting in front of in front of the Hall of Justice with signs, no more crisis. Crisis is our <laughs> infinite. And then there's a bit – oh, this was the most pointed one with, with <laughs> the Depressoverse doppel zombies, <laughs> which is – Totally a shot at the Batman who laughs and the whole situation with yeah. Justice League right now about all these evil versions of the heroes running around. I was just shocked that this was yeah out there in the world. So is that a recovery from issue one? Well, it made more sense. Or, yeah. Hal's whole plan was to start a war, so he basically convinces Jonathan Kent to join the Dark Stars, which doesn't make any sense because Jonathan Kent is in the future with the Legion of Superheroes, but doesn't really matter. <laughs> Much like other books we've talked about, this book is basically out of continuity as well. But the funny bit was Hal, basically, he was in the Justice League when the New 52 launched. He was quickly removed in, in favor of Jessica Cruz and the other guy's name I always forget. 
And so here he's like, I haven't been, I haven't been on this team in, in years. What the hell's going on? <laughs> yeah. It felt very much like Grant Morrison going, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Didn't he write Infinite Crisis? Do I remember that correctly? Infinite Crisis was Jeff Johns. I'm very out of He wrote game. Final Crisis. Oh, okay. There we That's go. That's okay. Those, those things both happened a long time ago. So I, it's yeah. fine. Old Man Quill is the final issue to this miniseries that Josh and I have both been loving. I came on it late. Josh convinced me to do it. First of all, terrific cover with Galactus. Uh, really eye-catching. And here we get the wrap-up of the story in which Peter Quill finds a way to save the day. And I am totally fine if Ethan Sachs wants to do more of these because he did yeah. Hawkeye, which was great. This was this was really great. If he wants to wrap this up with like a trilogy, do a third one, that's fine by me because this was terrific. I really enjoyed the first four issues, and uh, which is saying something because I had to overcome a lot of why is this a thing we're doing right. now? Why are we doing all the old men? Why are we doing this? But yeah, it hooked me right away, and uh, I'm sorry to see it go. What's funny about this issue is uh, Josh and I just did the book explode about the old Fantastic Four books, and we were talking in that uh-huh. show about the relative size of Galactus and his first yeah. appearance. In the Fantastic Four basically come up to his mid thigh, so he's really only like, you know, twenty feet tall, or right? Something like that, and he, and and here, you know, Peter Quill is the size of his face. Yeah, I was introduced to him during the original Secret Wars as a boy, and I, I've always thought of him as about the size of like the Empire State Building or something. Yeah. When he started out, he was just standing on the Empire State Building. He's had too many planets. This was really fun. I thought the way that they wrapped it up was inventive. The way Peter Quill saves the day was inventive. The use of the Infinity mm-hmm. Stones was inventive and fun. And like I said, it, it ends with a place where obviously the story's not wrapped up. The world still lives. That There's still characters out there. In fact, he, the Indy forms a new Guardians of the Galaxy team with some misfit members. And let's do it. Let's do another one. <laughs> Ethan Sachs is terrific. It's not up to me, but I'll make some phone calls. Okay, thanks. Yeah. You wanted to talk about Kill Whitey Donovan, number one. Yes. While you were hoping that I was going to bring my Marvel zombie energy back to the show, I was trying very hard to appear Mm well-rounded and sophisticated. So uh, I I picked this book blind. It's uh, Kill Whitey Donovan by Sidney Duncan with art by Natalie Barahona. I happen to be reading a book right now called The War Before the War, which is about the runaway slave problem between problem between uh, the Revolutionary War and the start of the Civil War. So I'm in a very interesting kind of Civil War state of mind. Mm-hmm. The book takes place during that time. The premise is that... Well, isn't, isn't the war is happening. Yes, I believe the, that the this hus- is mid-war. husband yeah. or whoever that is, is off at fighting the war. Yeah, the idea is that the main character's sister was abused either emotionally or physically or whatever by this guy, Whitey Donovan. And he went off to fight the war and she got so despondent, she killed herself. So the main character decides that her suicide is Whitey Donovan's fault. And she vows to track him down wherever he is and put a bullet in him. Well, she originally hoped the war would get him. Yes, that's right. And that, I would be, that, was that would be fun. revenge, but he, he somehow survived. So this is getting towards the end of the Civil War and he, he has survived. Yeah. And so she's got to go kill him. Yes. And crucial to her plan is enlisting one of her, I guess, father's slaves who is looking to run away. And what better way to run away than doing it with your master, I guess? So, Well, that's their cover. So they've, they've been friends yeah. since, you know. Uh, yes. It's, it's, it's horrible just to say the words out loud, but they've been friends since she came up to yeah. the plantation since she was bought. They were both little girls. Mm-hmm. And so they've known each other growing up. And their plan is no one's going to bother. A woman traveling with her slave. No one's going right. to suspect her having run away because this is during a time when that was you know rampant. Mm-hmm. 
thing that was happening. So that's their plan. It doesn't quite go that way. I thought this was really well written. I thought the art was yeah. hit and miss. I thought some pages were terrific and some panels were really terrific and other pages mm-hmm. and panels were a little little not there yet. Natalie Barahona. Natalie Barahona is clearly new, but she's got talent, so it'll be interesting to see where she goes. And there's a couple of really great sequences in here. Yeah. A little inconsistent, so that's something to work on. But I thought this was really fun and I'm glad you picked it because I wasn't even going to look for it. This is a Dark Horse comic. Yes, it is. It caught my eye at a time where I'm feeling a little overwhelmed by books and I'm loath to pick up new ones, but I'm glad I tried this one. I will see where it takes us. It might take me a little while (laughs) to get around to it again. I was really shocked. Uh, This is a five-issue miniseries, in case anyone's interested. Great cover by uh, Jason Pearson. That there wasn't some sort of supernatural element. I just assume now that, like, oh, it's it's set in 1864, but there's going to be aliens. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about another book like that in a few minutes. I was really sort of shocked that it was like, oh, this is just set Civil War, and there's no vampires. They're not what was that from book? Monsters. The, the sixth, the sixth gun. The sixth gun. Yeah, it, it the probably because of the art and the setting, it started to remind me of that a little bit. But you're right. You, you guys have been so poisoned. You think everything's going to have a demon in it or something, and <laughs> <laughs> just uh, you know, there's not a huge audience for Civil War era comics. Josh and I yeah. are. Clearly That's you right. are, but the three of us alone can't prop these books up. And we no. were surprised that Rebels made it as long as it did. Yeah. I was happy to read this, and I'm glad you picked it. That last panel is really terrific. The last sequence is yeah. great. This is a nice little gem that you you uncovered this week, and I was glad you did. <laughs> I have to make up for the fact that I can't describe the books to save my life. Can everybody tell that Connor does this ten <laughs> times a week, and I've okay. done it once in six years? Let's talk about Thor the Worthy, number one, which at first – both Josh and I were like, wait, did they put the new Thor book out before they finished the miniseries? But this is one of those 80 years of Marvel one-shot yeah. issues that sort of looks at the history of the character. This features three stories. The first is a Beta Ray Bill story, which was, to me, the big draw, which was sure. written by Walter Simonson, drawn by Mike Hawthorne, inks by Sal Buscema, and letters by John Workman, colors by Tamara Bonvillon. But Simonson, Buscema, and Workman are all old-school Marvel mm-hmm. legends. That was the main reason it caught my eye, because, uh, you know... If you got Simons and Thor, you pick it up. Yeah, and that story was terrific. It was Sif and Beta Ray Bill fighting an old uh, troll in Asgard, and then a very casual Sip <laughs> right. Odin at I was the end. Like, what did they do to Odin while I was away? <laughs> My God, I have not seen this. I mean, this is probably an old version of Odin. He looks like Ken Casey's Merry Pranksters over here. What's going on? <laughs> His big floppy hat on. Yeah, this is like retired in Palm Springs, Odin. Mm-hmm. But it was great. This was a great story. My Cawthorn art was terrific the, the Bashema inks were strong and then the middle story was it was a thunderstrike story written by tom defalco drama ron friends two classic marvel guys if you yeah. excise my brain you'd find the bit that knows anything about thunderstrike like i that, that <laughs> right. part is i don't know anything about thunderstrike that was my decade off i think he happened in like a period where i wasn't reading th- yeah thor like i definitely was reading comics when he was around i think he was late yeah 80s, early 90s but i don't know anything about this guy he's got a beard and a douchey ponytail and <laughs> yeah i that, think he was yeah. i think he's in or was in the guardians of the galaxy book that i'm reading back in my time <laughs> when i saw tom defalco and ron friends in the credits i laughed out loud because they were most famously the last time i saw them on the spider girl book that would never die you right. remember that one yeah like 50 people were reading it but they would go to the mattresses and like kick you down a flight of stairs to keep it from getting canceled so they were also, I think, at least at one point, they were my the, the Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man team when I was little. Oh, Ron Friends drew tons of stuff, including Thor. Yeah. He was, he's, he's really good, and he's still got it. Yeah. No, no, no doubt about that. I just don't know anything about Third Strike. I don't really care. 
I read this and I was like, yeah, okay, I don't, uh, fine. All like the cops or whatever are talking to each other like you're supposed to know who they are. They have names like Zoomer and things like that. And I was like, this was plucked directly from like 1989. And 100, like, I'm sure yes. old school Thunderstrike fans are thrilled and I'm not It scratched it. an I itch. Just, it just was... There's a black hole in my Thor history and includes yeah. the portion in which Thunderstrike was a thing. So I don't know anything about it. The final story yeah. was Rule of Reflection by Catherine Eminen and Tom Riley. And this was a, again, Sif. Strange Sif was in two of the three. Sif and then Jane Thor. Yeah. Yeah. F- again, fighting trolls. So it's kind of bookended that. And I, I, it was fine. It was good. Yeah. Speaking of running to catch up, there's something about Catherine Eminen's writing. It's very much like... I don't know anybody who talks this way and I'm having trouble understanding you. Like I always have to get into her groove for a page or two before I'm on board. To me, the most interesting thing about this book and worth mentioning is that she gets a magical mirror that this troll has and, and it's supposed to show everyone who is worthy. Like everyone who has been worthy in the past, who's picked up the hammer and the whole conceit is eventually she sees herself because she's not sure if she's worthy. Mm. So we see Beta Ray Bill. We see Captain America. We see, I guess that's regular Thor. We see the blockheaded guy. I don't know who that is. We see Frog Thor, and then we see Superman and Wonder Woman, <laughs> which I was really surprised. Yeah. I mean, they have done that. One of them is from yeah. DC versus Marvel. I believe that's Wonder Woman. And then one of them is from Justice League versus Avengers. Versus Superman. Avengers. And yeah. so they show everyone who's wielded the hammer, and that includes two DC <laughs> characters. So I was really surprised to see that. Editor's note, it counts. Especially since they all yeah. hate each other. <laughs> well, so. I can't do anything about that. So those were some of the books. There was a lot of books. It was a heavy week. There was a lot of stuff to read, a lot of stuff to choose from. But those are some of the books we enjoyed this week. But over at patreon.com slash ifanboy, patrons of the show, anyone who's a patron can vote to add a book to the rundown. This week, patrons get about 48 hours to vote. We could have called the voting within the first 30 minutes. The, oh, really? the winner of this vote had a commanding lead from the start, and nothing even came within the realm of passing The Butcher of Paris, number one, from Dark Horse, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Dean Cotts. Colors by Jason Wordy and letters by Troy Pateri, who I've never seen before, but I typed his name into the script about four times this week, five times. <laughs> this is a true story. It's a crime book. Yeah. There's no vampires. There are no aliens. <laughs> there are no magical creatures. You have got PTSD about this. They just very rarely do straight crime stories these yeah. days outside of Ed Brubaker's stuff at Image. This is a story, a uh, very interesting story. During the time of German occupation, during World War II, there was a serial killer in Paris, who killed anywhere from 60 to 200 people that are not actually sure. And this is the story of that. And it's a miniseries. Yeah. I liked it. There was a, some problems with the art. But overall, I mean, this this is like right in my wheelhouse. So I, I enjoyed it, even if it wasn't, per, you know, not perfect. It was very enjoyable, I thought. Yeah, I agree. I only had really a couple of notes, which is it had a recap page on the like the first page of issue number one and if you read the paragraph that was on that page you knew what was on the last page and i really really wish i had not done that because it would have been a lot more captivating and a lot more shocking and it really would have hooked me if i didn't know before i'd ever looked at one panel exactly what the book was about right which is a shame the only other thing is that they do the thing that people sometimes do when they're writing foreign language speakers or non-English speakers, whatever, (laughs) where they're all French. They're presumably talking in French, but all of the balloons are written in English. And then every once in a while, they'll kind of like drop in a French word or something. And it it pulls me out a bit. I I understand. It's a quibble. You're trying to make it so you know they're speaking the French by using common French words that most people know, like s'il vous plaît and oui and non. They just... To me, it was more things like page five on your 
digital reader if you're looking at it that way. There's two Nazis mm-hmm. who look exactly the same. And yeah. The same hair color, the same face. So like in that, I didn't know who was who. There was things like that. Yeah. I don't want to say amateur stuff. It's not amateur stuff. So when the Nazis show up later on, like, wait, wait, which Nazi guy is this? Is it that guy or is it the yeah. other guy? And it wasn't a huge deal because uh, ultimately they're all kind of interchangeable monsters. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And luckily the main character is retired Vladimir Lenin or something. Right. That made it easier. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I don't know anything about this. It, it gave me very much vibes of Devil in the White City. Mm-hmm. Did you read that? I think you might have read that. I have, yeah. The uh, Eric Larson nonfiction book. Yeah. Not that Eric Larson. About H.H. No. Uh, Holmes, the serial killer during World's Fair of Chicago, using that as a cover for to find victims, which is what the serial killer here does. And uh, it was quite brutal. And I don't know anything about the yeah. story, so it's going to be really fun to read, I think. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see now that the thesis of the of the book has been spoiled for me a little bit. It'll be nice to see them move on to how they catch this person. Well, that's person. What's interesting a- because – and we talked about spoilers. I don't want to spoil it too badly, but it, it didn't go the way I thought it would. Yeah. Okay. I'm not, I have to say it. He's found out in the first issue. And so yeah. the story isn't about uncovering the serial killer or discovering the serial killer. I guess the story is about catching him. I, again, I don't know the yeah. story, so maybe it's very exciting. But I didn't expect them to basically discover the, the lair and all the bodies in the first issue, which was an interesting yeah. choice and quite gruesome final page. Mm-hmm. He sounds like uh, a real meanie. <laughs> Stephanie Phillips, the writer, she has a little essay in the back, talks about how she stumbled upon this story and has been obsessed with it and it's been driving her crazy and, you know, yeah. the best way to exercise those demons is to get it yeah. out there. Get it on the page. The Butcher of Paris, number one, patron pick, ratings out of five stars. I'm going to give it, um, I'm wavering between a three and a three and a half. I feel like three is too low, but I, it's definitely not a four. How granular do you get? Well, as, as granular as you want. Yeah. I'm going to go three and a half. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think you're right about that. I don't have any real quibbles with it, and uh, I'm interested to see what happens next. And it's a true story, and that's interesting, and, and it's a story that I would assume a lot of people don't know about, so that's also interesting. I was really yeah. happy that they picked this book because I was expecting it to be the New Year's special. I probably wouldn't have read it, so I'm glad uh, that was the pick. Two just regular books this week yeah no genre superpowers or anything it's great another break let's talk about the holidays jim it's holiday time we're coming up on that time i'm sure you're deep in your shopping period or getting ready to or thinking about it or maybe putting it off we're pretty roof in our house we're just about done the question is what guy in your life are you shopping for this year maybe you're shopping for your dad or your brother or your uncle or your boyfriend or your sister's boyfriend or someone and really how many pairs of socks how many wallets how many ties yeah. can you give the guy in your life? Right. Those can all be great presents, but really, they're sort of the cliche guy, I don't really know that well, yeah. present to give someone. I've had to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. We've all had to do it. Maybe you should think about some shaving products. There's a Harry's gift pack that's both thoughtful and practical. They will use this every day, and they'll be thinking about you every day as they use it. It's kind mm-hmm. of the perfect gift. So listeners of our show can get $5 off any Harry's shave set by heading to harrys.com slash ifanboy. Free shipping on those products ends on December 16th, so you want to act now. You got about a week. If you go to harrys.com slash ifanboy, you get $5 off the set and you get free shipping. And that's a really great deal if you're looking for a yeah. great product for your the man in your life. It's a practical gift you'll actually use. Harry's makes sharp blades that last. They're German-engineered and they're award-winning. They're backed by 100% quality guarantee. So if he doesn't love that shaving set, 
you get a full refund, which is great. <laughs> That's a great deal for you and for him. Holiday sets start at just 20 bucks. That's within your Secret Santa limit. Yeah. My family, we do that. We've got a limit. That's definitely within that limit. And Harry's Blade refills are as low as $2 each. Your guy in your life will save money over time. He'll thank you for that. It comes in a ready-to-gift and handsome holiday gift box. I've seen the photos of it. It's nice. It's colorful. It looks very holiday-appropriate. Yeah. Your gift gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charitable organizations. So you can get a nice gift and feel good about it. Here's a special offer for fans of our show. We've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set. You don't even have to get the holiday set, although I do encourage you to do so. You can get any set, $5 off. That includes limited edition holiday sets. And when you go to harrys.com slash ifanboy, you get free shipping until December 16th. Each shaving set includes a weighted handle with option to engrave. I did that for my brother one year. I think I've given oh. all the man of my life that shaving set. It's a great <laughs> gift. I definitely got an engraved one for my brother. You get a five-blade razor cartridges. You get the foaming shave gel with a rich lather, the travel cover to protect your blades and your fingers from when you reach into your travel bags. Packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. And free shipping ends on December 16th. So act right now. Go to harrys.com slash ifanboy. That's harrys.com slash ifanboy. And if you've been listening to the show over the years as we've talked about Harry's a lot and you've been at all curious, yeah. this seems like the perfect opportunity. You get the free shipping. You get the $5 off. You get a nice gift. You don't have to worry about it. It almost comes pre-wrapped. It's not wrapped, but you just throw some paper on it and you're all set to go. So check it out. Harry's.com slash ifanboy. Somebody tell my kids to buy this for me. <laughs> so <laughs> You should buy it for yourself. We have a problem that's tearing our family apart. My kids love the fact that I have a beard, and it is like the most pathetic beard in the entire patchy world. I would love to cut it off, but they would disown me. But maybe this will be the first step. Maybe they're desperate enough to get me a gift that they'll think of Harry's. Maybe they won't disown you if it's shaved with a gift they give you. Brilliant. This is why I come here. So now this is the most exciting part of the show in which a new person gets to jump into the deep end with the patron powers. Every week we give powers to our patrons who give at the $5 or higher level over at patreon.com slash ifanboy. We're getting close to the end. I just checked the spreadsheet a little while ago. We're not too far from getting everybody done. And as I said before, if we've missed you, if you've upgraded in the middle, we will make sure to get you at the end of this whole nonsense. So let's give out our superpowers as a way of thanks at the end of the year. Eric Smith's power is that he hears complicated jargon in plain English. Oh, what I wouldn't give for that power. So if he's in a meeting I, or like, I don't know, at a physical therapy session and the doctor starts talking to you in real complicated medical jargon, he gets the translation in his head of what they're actually saying in regular human words. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to meetings I've worked where I work for years now, and there are still acronyms that I can't admit that I don't know what they mean. <laughs> we are seven years too late for me to go. And what's PMT again? Like, I would just have to pack my desk. So this would be my wingman 100% of the way. There you go, Eric. Yeah. Eric cuts through the nonsense. <laughs> That's right. Now, in speaking of cutting through the nonsense, Jonathan Shearer's power is that he automatically corrects the ceiling fan in any room. You know, Rex. in the summer, they're supposed to go clockwise for six months. They're supposed to go counterclockwise for six months. What? One of them cools the room. One of them draws the cold air out of the room. What? I can't remember. Did you make this up? No. You can. There's a switch on your fan that controls which direction it goes because half the year it blows up and half the year it blows down. You could be making this up and I would believe you. <laughs> I grew up with in my apartment in New York ceiling fans. I don't have them now, but I don't remember that ever being a thing. Once every six months, I stare up at my ceiling and go, is it going the right way now? 
did I forget to change it last time? And I might as well just have it be the homepage on my browser when I start up the thing because I never can remember. So when he walks in a room, it corrects itself? Yeah. It's the most limited telekinesis of all time. Jared Leister? Leister? I apologize for the pronunciation. Leister? We'll go with that. Jared has has facial Shazam. Oh, really? Not for real life, only for things happening in media. (laughs) So he knows who that guy is. Yeah, let's say he's watching a documentary. Let's just pick a random one. Mike Wallace is here on Hulu. It's terrific. But it features a lot of talking heads that they don't identify till the very end. He doesn't spend half the time like I am going, who's this person? <laughs> Jared knows if you see someone on, on a screen, he has facial shazam. He knows who it is. Does he know their name or does he know who they are? Like what they do, why they're in he this. He gets the whole little like biographical download. Uh-huh. Yeah. That would be handy. Yeah. But again, not face-to-face or in person, but only uh, through media. He will be of no use to you at a cocktail party whatsoever. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's too bad. Well, you take what you can get, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Jay Sternitsky has telepathy, but only with the sandwich artists at Subway. He does not. <laughs> so they know what he wants. Yes, he has a very specific sandwich order. Very hard to explain. Not his problem. They know that he wants spinach instead of lettuce. They know he wants light salt and pepper, regular mayo. So he's like a regular no matter where he – That's exactly which right. Which subway he goes in. He's like treated like Norm. That's exactly right. They make it just the way he wants it. He doesn't have to go through the rigmarole. He goes directly to the express pickup. He's got a good life if you like eating whatever chemicals are in that bread. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so those are the patron powers. Patreon.com slash fanboy. Thank you everyone who was a patron this year, everyone who joined up. We enjoy doing this segment. We will be getting hopefully through the whole list – by the beginning of next year and everyone will have their powers we don't like anyone to have to wait too long but we do thank everyone who has who has done so now let's do one question this was a nice end of the year wrap-up question it comes from jason r from colorado springs colorado and he says in celebration of the past year who would you say is the best writer of 2019 the best artist of 2019 the breakout talent of 2019 i've been thinking about this question since you lasted a comprehensive year in comics review segment in December of 2014, it'd be great if you wanted to bring it back. Jim, I always really liked doing those year-end articles on the website. That was always one of the yeah. favorite things we did was where for the last month or so, we just basically did a ton of best of lists. And, and it was always fun to see what everyone thought because we always mix up who got what and everyone's yeah. tastes are different. And that was always one of my favorite things that we did throughout the year. And I always liked that doing that. The lane I claimed was my favorite iFanboy posts by other people that year, <laughs> right. which was always like a Ouroboros snake eating its own tail. iFanboy celebration of iFanboy. Hey, it's a, it's a year in celebration. Yeah. You ha- you guys always had the hard work. You had to like crown uh, the king of art every year. Well, not always us. Sometimes other people did it, but let's, let's answer his questions. I know you are six months behind, but that's still 2019. Poor Jason wanted Josh so bad. Well, here's the thing. I asked Josh. I reached out to him while he was in the car with no doors. Uh, I said, hey, Josh, who are your best writer, artist, and breakout talent of 2019? And he sent back to me through chattering teeth. His writer is Mark (laughs) Russell. His artist is Steve Lieber. And his breakout talent is Nick Darrington, who we discussed earlier on the show. Mine would be my best writer would be Bendis and his many mm-hmm. DC books this year. My best artist would be I'm going to take Nick Darrington, who drew Batman Universe. He was my favorite artist of the year. And my breakout talent was Jorge Fornes, who started off as just a random guy on Twitter posting his spec art to drawing DC's biggest book in the space of one year. So 
to me that's the breakout talent of 2019. Even if he may have done something in 2018, I don't remember exactly when he started, but he's the biggest breakout talent of recent years, I think. Jim, any thoughts from earlier in the year? Uh, right. Uh, here in May, I'm really impressed with what Al Ewing has been doing so far, the Ewing doing. Immortal Hulk, just when you think you've read every possible Hulk story that has ever existed, somebody finds a new angle on it, and I appreciated that. In terms of art, I'm having a whirlwind romance with Ryan Stegman right now. All right. He scratches my itch. He's Terrific. the uh, right balance of, uh, you know, iconic and whatever the other Scott McCloud word is. And I don't know, breakout talent. I don't know if my answer actually qualifies. Well, it could be someone you've discovered this year that not necessarily yeah. new talent, but someone who you didn't really know you didn't really know much about. I didn't appreciate Tanahazi Coates's first run on Black Panther, mm-hmm. but right now I'm reading Black Panther in space, and I really like it quite a lot. I've, I've, I've clicked with it finally, and I think he's really stepped up his game. Well, there you go. If you want yeah. to get in on the conversation, go to ifanboy.com. There'll be a post for the show, and you can tell us in the comments who your best writer, your best artist, and your breakout talent of 2019 are. That'll be fun to see what everyone thinks. Oh, man. I'm going to revisit the iFanboy comment section. <laughs> Contact at iFanboy.com is where you can write into us, just like Jason did. And we thank everyone who did it throughout the year. We have hundreds of emails we didn't get to do on the show, and we thank everyone who wrote in. Now I'm returning a segment that I didn't do last year, but I was hounded all over the place to bring back the Picks of the Week by the Numbers, which is where I break down the stats on this year's Picks of the Week. And it's not going to be super long because it's boring to read out stats on a show. <laughs> Just to give people a sense of what a year of iFanboy picks were like, there were 49 total picks this year. Josh did 24, I did 23, and our regular guest host, Ryan Haupt, had two. So it was pretty evenly balanced between Josh and I, actually. It was pretty interesting to see. Total by company. This is where it gets interesting. It's a very DC-heavy year, which hasn't happened in a while. And I think that speaks to where Marvel is overall. But we'll see next year. Total picks for DC was 29 out of 49. So 59% of the picks are DC. Marvel had 15 for 30%. Dynamite had 3 for 6%. And Image, in a shocker, had two picks this year. 4% of all picks, which... If you've been following us for years, that's a pretty shocking number. I think Image is an even, even worse creative place than Marvel is right now. I can't even think of an Image book. There's, there's the only saga. a couple of must-reads, I think, beyond yeah. like, Criminal and things like that. It's just a very weird place they're, they're in right now. I have a feeling that people have stopped accusing you guys of bias. Do <laughs> well, I have that right? Uh, who knows? Because like, it used to be you would do this at the end of every year so that you could be like, see? <laughs> And maybe that's why you stopped last well, the, year. Uh, just, I just think it's boring to read stats on a show. But people yeah. apparently disagree. The thing that you see when you look at these stats, you can go back and look at the website. If you search picks of the week by the numbers, you'll find about five years worth of these stats. Is that it's all cyclical. So one year DC is up, yeah. one year Marvel's down, and it flips and flops, and it all just changes. But if you would break it down by person, here's where you really see the change. So Ryan had one pick each from DC and Marvel. I had 12 DC picks and 10 Marvel picks and one Dynamite pick. So pretty evenly balanced between DC and Marvel. The shocker is Josh had 16 of his 24 picks were DC books. He had wow. 66% of his picks were DC. He had four Marvel books for 16%, two from Dynamite and Image each for 8% each. And that was how the picks broke down by host. And then if you look by title, we didn't have one book that won. Batman Universe and Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen each had three picks that was the most by any book. There was a bunch of books that had two, Conan the Barbarian, Deceased, Event Leviathan, Superman, The Lone Ranger, The War of the Realms, and Superman Up in the Sky each had two each. And 15 picks were number one books, which was actually pretty low. And then by writer, this was not surprising. Bendis won with 12 out of 49 for 24% of all picks were Bendis books. 
Jason Aaron came in second with six picks. Fraction and King both had four. Mark Russell had three. Chip Zdarsky and Tom Taylor each got two picks this year. So I was trying to figure out, usually if there's like one book picked the most, that is usually like the book of the year. Yeah. Since we didn't have that, I decided to crown character of the year, which would be Superman, who had 12 picks that were either starring him or primarily about him. This doesn't even count Doomsday Clock. Wow. So 24% of all picks were Superman books. Which is not surprising if you've been listening to the show, especially the second half of the year. <laughs> it's been a Superman cornucopia this year. So those are your picks leaked by the numbers. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> it's always interesting to see how the stats break down because we don't really pay attention to what we're right. doing week to week. We just go forward. We're goldfish. You know, we, yeah. uh, we, yeah. we pick the book in front of us and not worry about what's been picked in the past or what the streaks are or what anything. So it's always interesting to go back and finally actually look at what's happened and see how it's all broken down. And so it's, uh, that's the picks of the week by the numbers. Real quick, it's the end of the year, so if you want to help the show out, keep the show going. There's a couple of ways. Fanboy.threadless.com. You can buy t-shirts there. Fanboy.com slash support is where you can directly donate via PayPal. And Fanboy.com slash Amazon is where you can find our books, blowed books, and also a general shopping link. And we thank everyone who's done any of these things throughout the year. You keep the show going. You keep the lights on. I even skipped over the most important one, Patreon.com slash Fanboy. That's where you can go help the show out directly and become part of the Patreon family. You get to join in on the Hangouts. We just did one last week. And you get to vote. And you get all kinds of fun stuff. So thank you, everyone, who did any of these things in 2019. You really are the reason why the show keeps going. It's not a considerable amount of time and money that goes into running this thing. So we do thank everyone who helps defray those costs and make the time away from our family and friends worth it. Thank you very much. And let's wrap the show up. All right. So out right now, you'll find Books Blowed, Fantastic Four, Behold Galactus, Marvel Select Edition. I mentioned it earlier. That's what Josh and I talked about. The terrific, terrific book featuring three stories from the different eras of Fantastic Four, featuring Galactus. You can find that a couple of shows back on the feed. Normally, you'd get a Toxplode in December. Josh is not here to defend himself. I don't think there's one coming. <laughs> As in years past, which is not unusual, in January, you'll get a Toxplode and a Booksplode to make up for it. It's the holidays. The hardest thing is actually booking people this time of year. Yeah. It tends to happen where the December Toxplode slips to January. And as long as it comes out, it's okay. So let's quickly talk about the holiday schedule for the remaining few weeks of the year. As I said before, this is the final Pick of the Week episode of the year. Next week, you'll get the all-media year in Extravaganza that comes out on December 15th. You'll get a review show for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, either the 21st or the 22nd, depending on how quickly we can turn it around. And then we'll be back with episode 713 of the Pick of the Week show on January 12th of next year, of 2020. I can't even wrap my mind around that, but that's apparently happening in a few weeks. So as I said, all these shows available at fanboy.com. You can find all of our podcasts, all of our past shows. Also, it's all there. You can go find all of Jim's old columns. You can see. <laughs> oh, good Lord. You can find all the old writing we used to do. We had daily content. Jim used to write oh, a, man. a Monday morning column, kick things off, set the tone for the website for the week. <laughs> It's really interesting to go back and re- look at those things and see what the pulse of the, the fandom was at the time and what one hundred percent. It's like a little time capsule. On Monday morning, I was always like, "Yeah, what are people mad about this week? I'll <laughs> write about Spider Man's marriage, you know, whatever." So, like, and then you look at it now, and it's like, "Wow, we cared a lot about that, didn't we?" <laughs> but, <laughs> so you could go back and look at all. There's literally years of content there. I've been trying to clean it up because we changed servers. A lot of the formatting got messed up. So I've been slowly sort of making my way through some of the old articles and trying to clean up the formatting. So you can check it all over at fanboy.com. You can also follow us at facebook.com slash ifanboy and at ifanboy on Twitter and ifanboy comics on Instagram. That's where you can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. On Instagram, you can see some best of the week panels. That was an old feature on our website, which we brought back for Instagram. And finally, individually, we are C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram and J.A. Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram and Jimski on Twitter. That's J-I-M-S-K-I. And annoyingly, 
Jimsky on Instagram, but it's J, <laughs> the number one, M, S, K, and the number one. Jimsky was taken. I had to use ones. And uh, don't be afraid. I recently had to take Twitter private, but don't be afraid to ask to follow me. I'll probably let you. I had a Twitter snitch in real life making things complicated for me. So I had to go underground. But yeah, I'm always happy to get more attention. I'm off Twitter entirely. Josh has been off it. Yeah. So we're more, we're more likely to be found on Instagram these days, at least Josh and I. But yeah, you can follow the three of us in those aforementioned places. And finally, if you like the show, you can write us a review or leave a star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts these days. I don't know, beam directly into your brain, however it <laughs> right. goes. But you, if you leave us a review or star rating, it's a really great way to help us out. If you can't partake in any other ways, that's a really easy way to help people find the show. The more ratings and reviews, the better it is for the algorithms to help people find podcasts. And we do thank everyone who does that. And better than that is word of mouth. We see it every week. Somebody on social media will recommend us. Someone asks about podcasts and we see it every week and we really do appreciate that the word of mouth is one of the best ways personal recommendations is one of the best ways to get people to listen to a show we do appreciate everyone who has helped spread the ifanboy love in 2019 and you can tell i'm done uh, (laughs) it's been a long year of talking and i'm looking forward to the next couple weeks of not talking much nothing left in the tank after the three-hour show we're about to record (laughs) may god have mercy on your soul thank you jim i really do appreciate it It first of all it's great having you back but i do appreciate you jumping in the last second when it became clear josh wasn't going to make it home in time uh, I know it's not easy reading your comics out of sequence, out of order. It was, <laughs> I, was, I understand how hard it is. It was something that I've been meaning to do, and you just provided me with the opportunity. Still the best in the biz. I had a fantastic time, and the bad news is I've got a taste for it now again. <laughs> yeah, this was great. I hope it's not, uh, whatever, six years before I talk to everybody again. Yeah, so thank you for coming on, and thanks to everyone who listened this year. And uh, whether you liked it or not, I'm just glad you listened. <laughs> And until 2020, I'm Connor. And I am not Josh. <laughs> Talk to you next year. And the bells are ringing out for Christmas Day.